close your eyes and imagine your happy place, your home, your workplace, your creative studio. What do you see? A luxurious loft in the city center, a little crash pad in the woods. And most important, how does this place make you feel? Your surrounding has a great impact in your work and your well-being. It can be inspiring, relaxing, it can calm you down or push you to give your very best. I invite you to think about how your perfect place can look like. Because today, I talk to someone who finds and designs people's dream homes. Hey, sweet people, how's it going? Welcome to the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Zeus. And if you're looking for the sweet spot of your brand, you've come to the right place. In today's episode, I talked to freelance architect Daniela Sinicroppi. She was born in the US, but followed her family's roots back to Tuscany. Today, she lives and works in Florence, and she specialized in helping expats from the US find their dream home in Italy. In our conversation, we talk about the power of place, the impact our surrounding has on our life and work. We talk about how you can find your entrepreneurial niche based on your experience and your customer needs. And we talk about the future of architecture. Being a successful architect, Daniela had to be on one of her construction sites during this interview. This gives us an authentic sound backdrop, I hope you don't mind, because this is an inspiring talk about finding your industry niche at the power of place. So without further ado, please enjoy my talk to Daniela Sinicropi. Welcome to the sweet side. This is the Sweet Spot Podcast with Mark Zeus, investigating entrepreneurship, purpose, and the creative life. Sweet people, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Daniela Sinicropi. Buongiorno, Daniela. <laughs> nice to Buongiorno. have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you, actually. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about talking to you about my work. Me too, me too. Well, <laughs> as we heard in the intro, you're based in Florence, Italy, one of the most beautiful places in the world, probably. So where are you right now in Florence? Well, thank you. Yes, I guess it is an amazingly beautiful city. Um, right now, I am in my office where we have some construction work being done, um, and yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm the director of the safety program for. So it's partially my fault if there's all this noise going on right now. Well, if there's one um, interview where it's totally legit, <laughs> then it's our interview. <laughs> You're conducting the, the yeah. building site. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you. So I'm um, trying uh, in the office with us. I was uh, telling you earlier that we recently had to move because of the construction work. So it was, it's actually going on in our old firm. So now in our new firm, we have somewhat peace and quiet, uh, wrapping up a few things for the end of the week. Yeah. You know, I wonder what your working place could look like um how did you design your your office space for example for yourself what is important to you can you describe us a little bit how your working environment looks as an architect and interior designer so um i would say the first the most important thing is space um mm -hmm. large uh surface uh where you can 
you know, concentrate. Um, but also, actually, this is something that's a little different, having the colleagues close by. So for questions or any kind of um, doubts, maybe regarding, um, you know, the administrative aspects of my job. So having uh, an interlocutor that you work with and that you're comfortable with uh, in order to bounce off any doubts, um, as well as we have actually the, the design of the space is a little bit new pieces, old pieces, mm -hmm. IKEA pieces. It's uh, a little bit of a mix. Um, some light, good light we need, and of course our instruments, which are today computer and computers and computers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so definitely. No more hand-drawn blueprints, yeah. right? <laughs> not, not so much, not these days. Although we do really have, you know, there's still the tendency of jotting down mm -hmm. and and uh, for surveys and writing down and paper is still definitely, a, you know, a big part of it, but um anything else goes through the computer first <laughs> yeah yeah so well that's your working space but i wondered are there any particular places because whenever you have a profession like that i feel like there's so much more awareness for the spaces that surround you and the function they have in your life are there is there any any special place in your life that you can rely to inspire you Uh, that's a good question. Well, you know, I often find myself, I, I have a, just very cliche, I have a Vespa. Oh, <laughs> uh, lovely. And, <laughs> and so, um, often, you know, uh, part of our job is not, it's not very static. It's about going around and being here and being there. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of inspiration comes from actual, um, you know, going through from one place to another and uh i don't know you from your building sites to classes because yeah. i also teach uh to bringing the kids to school and you, you pass through maybe a corner or a nook of the city and you get a surprise view that that means a lot i have to say um also there are um there's like a great business in um uh the, the refurbishing of older uh objects mm -hmm. and so maybe on my way to get coffee there's an antique shop and they have some new pieces or um there's a reupholstering place yep. and they have some new uh textiles and that's always something interesting to see <laughs> well it sounds as beautiful as you could imagine it <laughs> on your little vespa <laughs> going through florence yeah. wow that's perfect well with this yeah. picture in mind i want to talk about your work as an architect and interior designer um, which i think is already an amazing job but especially you help people to really fulfill their dream because you specialized you work with expats from the us and help them to find their their dream home in tuscany actually can you yeah, tell us I a try. little <laughs> you try and you mostly succeed as far as i know I'm mostly yes let's say i have been very lucky i've had really great clients that's also another thing right it's yeah. um it's about the chemistry between the um the architect and the client and and it's not just us trying to please it's also clicking right and, yeah. and understanding kind of what the other person wants and needs for their dream home and and really listening to that and not doing a design that's completely uh untied to their Absolutely. to their requests Absolutely. right so sometimes I, and i have to say the temptation is enormous you see a job and you say oh my goodness i would love i would envision this for this job in this apartment or this yep. would be amazing and the client's not really on board because they have a different vision and so understanding that and agreeing you know that this is the job is for them that that's probably um 
let's say the first step. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I can I can absolutely relate to that with the design studio that you sometimes have immediate ideas and a vision and a visualization of the whole thing. But of course, it's people's business at the end of the day. So, yeah. But well, before we dive into your process step by step, I really want to know how you yeah, how you discovered and found that niche for yourself because that's a very specialized thing to specialize on expats from the US moving to Tuscany. How did that came to be? Yes. Um, so I found, actually, this is an interesting question. Thank you. Because not a lot of, I don't have a lot of opportunities to explain this, but, um, uh, as I was beginning in my field, I had the opportunity of teaching a course Mm -hmm. and, um, with a, with a colleague, excuse me, an extremely talented colleague. He's, he's very, very talented. And I think one of the things that I noticed is that although for all of this talent, there was a lot that was going lost in between the relationship between the students and the colleague. But not, not just that. I think that that is overcome throughout the course of the semester because you really get to know a, a professor or a student. Um, not much that, but even in the design choices. So the students would translate their design choices that would normally be accepted in the United States to an Italian context. Mm-hmm. And so for my colleague and I, the challenge of teaching this course, which we've been teaching for 10 years, and it's super successful and we love it. It's really a great part of our job. Um, the challenge is really to um, initiate them to a European context, which is sometimes, not always, but sometimes can be quite different from um, the context that they arrive from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just an issue of translating how in Europe the building typologies came to be or how public spaces are used. Sometimes it's an issue of translating even, you know, the small cultural uh, peculiarities okay. of a city or or of a country. And so I started thinking that a lot of the... Um, students who then eventually come back, uh, you know, fall in love with the city and decide that they want to live here. Um, maybe this cultural dif- these cultural differences yeah. could be um, an issue for them to actually, you know, have their dream home. Um, and I worked with one. So she was the one who changed my wow. professional direction, Perfect. who was looking for a She was looking for an apartment and she said to me, do you mind coming to see the apartment? Because it looks fantastic to me. And, and then, and it was, there was a lot of, you know, things that we could have done with this apartment. It would have been wonderful, but there were still some things that she maybe didn't pick up on. So Mm -hmm. the difficulty of having maybe, um, I don't know, uh, a full-size dryer in, uh, we wouldn't even need to update some of the electrical, uh, just little things, right. That I, that I walked through with her and she had an enlightenment and eventually we found the perfect apartment for her. And, you know, we were able to make it very, very cozy yet, you know, at the same time, respecting all of the standards that here are in place. Absolutely. Well, that sounds super interesting again on the because it's the it's the the cultural context and the society and the personal experiences can you give us an example of the differences i mean i can think of what is considered an old building in the us with i don't know 200 something years isn't even that old in 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 italy especially in tuscany or florence so what other examples come to mind when when there's this little cultural exciting clash 
So uh, another common example is opening up. Mm -hmm. So structural maybe modifications. Um, Oftentimes here we have to deal with, um, you know, uh, regulations that don't allow openings in this part or in that part or Another big thing is the superintendency of fine arts, which will tell us if we are able to make exterior changes to uh, a building or not. So mm-hmm. there are lots of quirks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that um, once you're once you're in it, once you're in the mechanism, it, it really you you're really able to explain a lot and help you know with the comprehension. And of course, you know there are permits for almost everything. I mean, there are lots of ways that we can go around these um, regulations or, or work with the regulations, as as I prefer saying. But um, no one really explains it to the foreigner who tries to move to Italy. Yeah. And not a lot of people who are in my profession can actually um, complete the cultural transition. Absolutely. So there are lots of professionals who are excellent at their job and um, who I admire very much, actually, and um, who I work with happily. Uh, and, and, And when you are a foreigner, you don't only need that to be in place. You don't only need them to be quite competent you also need them to be able to explain something that for here maybe seems obvious we have a superintendency in place otherwise right the city would transform uh under contemporary work um and at the same time uh for for maybe somebody who's not in a urban context um in the united states this isn't as obvious so um I've also spoken to clients about the difficulty that they've had speaking to other professionals who would give uh, as, you know, something that was completely uh, obvious, uh, something that maybe needed a little bit more explaining. So that's regarding what I'm saying here is regarding like the bulk of the work. um, If there is a big renovation that needs to be completed or, um, if there's any structural work, but regarding the interior design, that's completely different. And I've not, I'm not exactly um, uh, an interior designer. I had, that was not the way I came uh, out of my studies. Mm-hmm. My studies are mainly structural. Yep. Um, in fact, as actually, you know, right, that I spent some time in Germany yes. um, completing my my PhD um, at, 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 a, at the Department of Civil Engineering. So absolutely, but I mean, was, this is this is maybe where where your personal sweet spot as an as an entrepreneur kicks in because you're born in the U.S., you studied abroad in Germany, uh, beyond other stations, and and now you live in Italy and I think bridging that cultural gap is what what makes it so interesting to me especially because of course to every profession there's the the professional side and you have your facts and your figures and your training but then you also if you're in the people's business then there's this cultural interpersonal context that comes in so I think it's a good chance to dive into your process if I think about moving to a different city let alone another country that's complex and can be totally overwhelming um how how do you work with your clients usually what's the process well um they they can actually there are four main steps that i like to highlight uh about the process and um actually my relationship with clients can kick off at any one of these four steps Mm -hmm. it's not a b c d and you cannot start from c right the alphabet can't start from c just (laughs) 
arbitrarily. Um, But you can actually jump in at any point of my steps. Um, So the first step would be, in fact, finding a home. And I've realized this actually thanks to my first, my very first client, um, because while looking at homes, she was one of the questions that she was having difficulty getting answers from the real estate agent, who is, of course, a completely different job and has obviously different training, um, was you know, if this was a good home to leave empty for five or six months and then come back to maybe for a month in the summer, a month in this fall. Um, And, you know, she kept asking me if I leave this place or uh, will I be able to rent it or what's the ultimate value? Is this a stepping stone home that I can then in 10 years sell and get a better home for? Mm -hmm. So, you know, having one professional in your corner that will take care, you know, of all of your questions about buildings, yep. not about the real estate, but about the building itself, and then can advise you, that is like the first and foremost thing that I would help you with. Yep. Also maintaining budget. Yeah, um, totally. There are a lot of expenses. There are a lot of little expenses that maybe are different with respect to the expenses that you have um, in the United States. And there are maybe customary things that are slightly different as well. So finding a notary, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. getting someone who is maybe slightly fluent in English or that can help or can I can maybe tag along and help translate. Yeah. Um, that's also a big thing because not everybody who moves here is already fluent in the language. Absolutely. Sometimes people decide sometimes people decide to move here because they just love it and they, they envision themselves um, staying here for a month and going to the Uffizi for an hour on the odd Tuesday instead of you know having to uh, yep. reserve and, and, and go through the yep. touristic perception of yep. the city. Um, and, and so sometimes they say, when I'm here, I'd like to take a language course and start learning the basics. Sure. So they don't you know yeah so finding a home could be step one then again i also have clients who already have a home yeah they've you know found it it's in the perfect neighborhood that they love that that really hit them the first time they came to visit florence uh or the perfect town that, that they love when they you know they fell in love with when mm-hmm. they first came to visit tuscany and so uh they found this apartment and they've fallen in love and they've already bought it so at that point um the finding the home and then the purchase advice which would be maybe step two is already behind them. And so basically they are hoping that um, we can renovate the apartment in such a way that it, they can call it home. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Maybe one, before we dive into the next steps, I'm, I'm very curious about this because I think the process of buying a house or flat in Germany is similar to Italy when it comes to restrictions and paperwork and notaries and all the stuff you can do or can't do. Um, how does it look in the US compared to that? Because when I talk to friends of mine in the United States, it's very common that people in a very young age can afford a house. And it's it seems to be so quick. It's like a couple of months. And then you have your then they have, you have your own house. And even if you want to rent something, at least in Germany, and I think Italy is pretty similar, just let alone renting it takes months of preparation and buying something sometimes takes takes a year or even two or yeah. three years with all right with it everything. depends yeah. right it depends so there are a lot of things the actually this is really interesting um because one of i, I participated in um in a, in a chat a few months ago uh where 
um, one of the participants was saying how weird it was to go see a house with everybody in it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so this is one of the main differences that I would like to prepare my future clients for. <laughs> in the United States, usually when you go see a house, there's an open house. The house has been staged. Sometimes oh, there are even wow. cookies. Oh, I don't know if you know this. Wow, Sometimes that's Sometimes there are even cookies and, and brownies and cupcakes and... I don't know. I'm saying fruit juice. I don't yeah, know what else. That's have. amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what they, what real estate's jobs um, also comprehend in the United States are to stage the home, the house, the flat, whatever it is that's being sold in such a way that they yep. can get the maximum value. And this isn't always true. Of course, if maybe you're looking for just a flat in Chelsea to rent out and that may not be the case, but um Anywhere that's maybe uh, slightly suburbia, you could very commonly find uh, a situation in which the house is empty. Well, there are not the owners in it, and not because they've moved out, but because maybe they've taken the day and they've gone somewhere else, amazing. so that they can they can have an open house and you can wander through and you can say, you know, these windows are super ugly, or what's this bathroom doing mm-hmm. without hurting the feelings yep. yeah, yeah, of yeah. the people who yep. live there? Whereas here, oftentimes, I would say 50% of the, if the, if the apartment is not already empty, then 50% of the time, the real estate agent brings you to a home where the, where the owners are. And they like yep. to talk about, this is the thing, right? With Europe, that people like to talk about their own homes. Absolutely. So <laughs> we had this, we had this beautiful closet custom made because we wanted a space where we could look out of this window. And, you know, the prospective client is thinking, that's horrible. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> <Or> yeah. <laughs> I, I hate it. Or that's the first thing that I'm going to, you know, rip down. Yeah. And these people are, or you you feel like you have to say, oh, how lovely. Or, mm-hmm. hmm, what a beautiful 50s bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so, that, that draws attention away from your imagination. How would I feel there how do I resonate with the room and the view and the and the everything and I know right. the experience part of you is pleasing yeah mm-hmm. absolutely part of you is trying to please the owners so that really hit me right when we were talking um, on this chat and I was I was thinking you know that's amazing how no one prepares no one that real estate agent doesn't prepare them because for the real estate agent, it's completely normal mm-hmm. and no one prepares the clients. Okay. So when we go see the apartment, you have to imagine it without the people, <laughs> yep. without their, you know, custom furniture or their favorite pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a completely different experience. So sometimes I like to tag along just to, you know, help them sure. through it. Also, sure, sure, sure. No one, they, they sometimes um, clients who are, not fluent in Italian, um, feel that they are not being completely understood, mm-hmm. you know, when they ask questions or remarks. So that also helps. That's amazing. So let's say um, the first part, being an architectural professional, but the first part of the steps that we were talking about. So finding a home, purchase advice. A lot of my expertise is um, channeled through translation of culture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. and the language and you know how it's done here so when you start looking for an apartment don't be shocked if you know 
we arrive and they're cooking dinner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think this could be a very new experience if you're not used to it. Okay, but um, besides that, you also do renovation and interior design. So, and I'm really interested because there's a little similarity in between our jobs. How do you develop an idea for a client? How do you present it to him? Because in my work in media design, which is in a way very different and also similar, I know that it's it can be hard for people from other lines of work or without the experience in, in a visual language, so to speak, to imagine something. So how do you develop the space together with the people? So first of all, I listen. <laughs> I listen a lot to what they have to say. And this is true for, for any kind of work where you have to produce something visual, mm -hmm. right? So I think, um, as you were saying, the similarity with your line of work, right, right in this specific spot really comes in because you have to have a conversation with them and, and ask them what they envision. So how would you like this space? Do you see white? Do you see blue? Do you see sparkles? I had a client actually tell me that. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I envision a sparkly kitchen, she said, and I'm going to do my very best Perfect. to make her happy. That's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's say that that is uh, part of it. Part of it is, is sitting down and listening, even asking them to, if they haven't thought about it yet, then say, okay, take a week, 10 days you know, a good amount, a portion of time, think about it. You can even just shoot me an email or we can have another conversation because this is another part of my job. They're not, my clients are not always here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sometimes working with them as they go back abroad. Sure. Or rather, or rather as they go back home and I remain abroad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the communication has to be like first day talk. Yeah. First they say, yeah. and then we can figure out a way. So um, sometimes I think that regarding the renovation, I'm the one who has to be super uh, attentive to what they're asking because mm -hmm. maybe things can be and cannot be completed. That's a big thing. Um, you know, could we open four bay windows here? <laughs> no, yeah. that can't be done. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can ask, but the answer is going to be no. Uh, so um, that's, that's the part where my, let's say professional expertise comes in and I can really, really guide them. Mm -hmm. But for the rest, for the interior design, as I said before, my, um, let's say original training is definitely structural. Yeah. So the renovation is something that I can totally, uh, you know, manage and, and, and help them through and try to achieve what they want through my, my, my professional expertise. The interior design is something that I've realized really resonates with me because my own experience because of my own experience with my move right so this isn't something that's so common when you come to a foreign country right and you and you're asking for a translation of services you're not always expecting to find someone who's gone through the same process that yep. you have and who's noticed the same thing so i think this is really where my sweet spot as you like to call it comes in because i get to um I get to uh, rely on my own experience in order to translate what they need. Okay. So for example, somebody was talking to me about wanting a really lush bed with hundreds of pillows, right. Yeah. And super soft and maybe even a box bed. That's something that's very, very common uh, in, in the U S you know, in the U S but yeah. just in the say Northern in Northern America in yeah. general. Yeah. Okay. Whereas here, sometimes there is that like 
request of design of a very sleek, yep. um, you know, not to bury yourself in pillows mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of uh, experience. And so understanding that that's what what you want is something that also comes from my experience of living in the United States and coming from the United yep. States and then moving here and being kind of shocked that my room was not exactly what it was when it was back in the United States and there was no lush carpet and, you know, the windows opened differently and, um, yeah, absolutely. Completely, yeah. Well, so, should we dive into this experience? I'm really, I'm really keen to learn more about this. So what age did you, did you experience your interest in, in, this interior design and you talked about moving and going back and forth from from the us to italy can you can you talk right. a little bit about this experience so my parents are italian mm -hmm. and therefore i i was always back and forth they um my my father had moved to the united states for uh a whole series of reasons before i was even born and then of course um work kept him there and um uh when they decided to move back to Italy, it had been something that was kind of, um, let's say, a smooth transition because I had always come to Italy every summer of my life. We would come here and I would, you know, I knew the, I knew the relatives. I knew um, we would go to Rome, we would go to Florence. We would, there were many, many places that, that I was aware of. And, and, the uh, traveling and the, the family was always wonderful for me. But then, you know, we would we would be in temporary homes, not always homes of our own. And these temporary homes were in the 80s and in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Quite different. Yeah. Quite different from the, the home that I was in, um, you know, in my permanent home in the United States. So how, so, how old were you? How old were you? You were, you were a child, teenager? When we moved here permanently, I was 15. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but this is still and a time where your room is like your your sacred little space, right? This is your your, your youth cave, so to speak. And if that of changes, course. that's intense, right? Sweet people, first impressions count. The appearance of your brand determines how your audience perceives you, make you stand out from the competition. This is why with my studio, I offer brand makeovers, a holistic design strategy that ensures a consistent appearance of your brand across all channels and touch points. From logo design and branding to product design, packaging, websites and your custom design request. Design for engagement, trust and performance. Let's design the brand you really want. Check out sweetspot-studio.com and get in touch to get your brand makeover. And now let's get back to the show. And it changed immensely because then we got um, uh, a flat that wasn't, they, my parents, I don't think they ever envisioned that flat to be some, you know, where they were going to live uh, mm -hmm. for a long time. And in fact, it served kind of as a bridge, but the room in there was very small and the furniture was all white it was a little different from what I was used to. Um, and then when we got into our, um, let's say, more permanent home where we stayed for uh, a longer period of time and where I was actually um, asked by my parents to uh, give them, you know, their, my idea of, of yes. what I wanted my room to look like, I, I was finally, I was like, okay, so I would like no white. <laughs> of course, then you go back and forth. These are like your favorite color when you're six, right? Normally sure. it's... 
I don't know, rainbow. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then when you're 35, it's like uh, gray with hues of green, you know? Exactly. And then it turns <laughs> back to sparkling, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like my client. Exactly. Um, so uh, I was, I, you know, I was, I was really involved in um, the transformation of the flat from being something that was, Amazing. you know, they bought. And for me, it was anonymous. They saw the potential of it uh, into something that was my youth cave, as you very adequately called it. Um, so I think that's probably, um, I, I really got interested in it. I was always interested in architecture. I was always interested in structures. I was always, there was always something that was in my mind. Yeah. Although, you know, when you're in high school, they say, what do you want to be? I want to be a veterinarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be, I want to drive spaceships. Definitely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but then you, I went back to my original passions. And I have to say that in my, you know, the, the years in which you're kind of still molding uh, and forming, this experience really touched me. That's amazing. That's such a great story. And you know what? I, I think about the this amazing picture that you drew for us with you on your little Vespa going through Florence. And there's there's something that I believe your clients can do with you because I've been to Florence a couple of times and you also showed me this beautiful antique markets and these the, where you can buy old furnitures and artworks and carpets and all these. And it's just like the, it's like from a picture book. It's so perfect. It's a sunny day in Florence and you go to this market and then you can stroll along and pick out furniture with you. So in terms of interior design, I learned that you don't buy everything new sometimes you have a certain aspect of sustainability or getting really into the antiques of Tuscany so yeah how can I imagine picking out something together with you or you for me yeah though I was about to say sometimes we don't always get to do the stroll in a sunny day in Florence because unfortunately it rains here too you know not only in can't Hamburg. imagine so can't imagine <laughs> <laughs> um but Besides the weather aspect, I would say, as I was talking to you before about how sometimes I have to communicate remotely with my mm -hmm. uh, clients who go back to the United States because maybe they're here for a month, right? And they take care of business and we do as much as we can together, but then they go back yeah. and I see a chair. Oh my goodness, I saw a chair for my client the other day. She was talking to me about this lush bedroom that she was envisioning and I walked through one of the flea markets mm -hmm. that we have here and By no means do not get confused by the word flea because this market has one of the most talented reupholsterers and renovators yeah. of older furniture that I know. And um, there was this little chair that was perfectly reupholstered with white and blue stripes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely perfect for the bedroom that she was describing. So I took a picture and I sent it to her. I got the estimate down and hopefully, you know, we'll, the deal will be done in a few Amazing. days because... It's not just about the new. What I believe is that, first of all, um, it's not a great idea to go out and get, before you live in a space, get all new furniture. So Absolutely. a new couch is a great idea. A new couch is a great idea for a whole series of reasons. Um, but maybe you want to wait a little bit for the table. Uh, maybe you want to live in the space. I'm not saying that you should live in a half empty apartment. I'm not. I'm saying that if you see something that's not in a furniture shop, mm -hmm. that's 
fine because one of the reasons you're probably wanting to move to Florence and to Tuscany and to Italy and to Europe, so let's make it even bigger, sure. is the fact that that there is a different meaning given to time in the old continent. Um, very rarely do we build things and do we uh, maybe contemp in, in contemporary days we furnish buildings for the time being, but you know throughout the centuries, there was not this idea that, you know, we'll buy a table to last six years and then we throw it away. There was the idea, we build a table and it lasts six generations yeah. so that my, you know, great, great, great grandkids don't have to build the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the same thing about the house, the same thing about, you know, lots of things. Um, so also the sustainability of that is incredible. And after our recent historical experiences we really need to start thinking about sustainability again, yeah. not just as a, you know, a practice where we can, you know, pat ourselves on the back and say, Oh, I'm so sustainable, but also because we really have been weighing a little bit too much on the current, you know, currently on this, yeah. on, on the world. So if we have a talented restorer who can renovate this love seat uh, reupholster it, make it perfect, make it custom. Why should we possibly, you know, give up that idea? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Besides all the other reasons I could never do your job is I would totally go broke because I couldn't hold myself from shopping all this amazing vintage furniture. But that's, that's It's just difficult. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> no, but actually, um, I saw that you also not only work on together with your clients to really find sustainable ways of designing and renovating homes. You also custom build sometimes pieces of furniture or other things. Um, how did that came to be? Was that from, from scratch, you knew, okay, I also want to build things. because that's a huge step. I mean, you can buy things and combine them beautifully, but building staircases that also work as a cupboard or whatever, that's, that's amazing work. Yeah. So interesting is that not a lot of people, I think, that are outside of my line of work realize that architects are known for designing from the spoon to the city. And, um, you know, there are Frank Lloyd Wright, um, exactly. Charles Rennie McIntosh, right? Yeah. They design the buildings and they have maybe ideas for urban plans, especially. Um, but they also design... Um, notebooks <laughs> and pens yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, little chairs, right? Yeah. So that would fit a nook. Um, so it's part of the job. So once you know how to design an apartment, you really do know how the furniture needs to fit in there. I'm not trying to take away from the interior designs work because designers work because they are sure. a very important part of, you know, this whole uh, process um, but it is really part of, uh, of the job description. So if I envision a space and I need to solve a problem that that space has, so in that case of the, the, the staircase that became also a closet, we're talking about a really high space. It was almost too high to be comfortable because it wasn't wow. that large. Yeah. So we decided to make a bedroom on top of the living room and make them both very cozy nooks but we didn't have space for a closet. So we're solving problems and I can't call someone else in to solve my problem. I really need to envision the space like a holistic environment. So I'm 
I'm looking at the renovation. I'm looking at the structural problems that need to be solved. And at the same time, I'm figuring in order for you to have a cozy home here, this is what we need to do. Um, if the client, of course, is up for it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're the boss. <laughs> That's amazing. That's beautifully put. And yeah, I can only recommend checking out your website because you have great uh, cases there where people can see what you actually do. It's really, also, it makes it easier. Yeah. Also speaking of the website, we are um, in the, we are currently organizing a few more photo shoots. Uh, so to works that we have recently completed. So I'm thinking that maybe in a few more months, we'll have yeah. actual new um, cases up Amazing. on the website. And that would be that also for me. Amazing also for me, because, you know, so I, I work with these people, we go into the building site, we, you know, see all the way from the dirt to the wallpaper yeah. let's say yeah. um and then finally when they're on the website they're like oh wow i got you know yeah. it it's, makes it it's, real it's done the, yeah. the client is happy it's the photo exactly finish. it makes it exactly. real yeah. it's a photo finish yeah. so i'm super excited about that i have two photo shoots within uh the end of the month and then you know we have some uh post post processing to do and we'll be uh and we'll be posting them as soon as possible that's amazing so <clears throat> there's something else that was that i was thinking about um previous to this interview because as we established you're located and you're working and living in florence this old and beautiful city and architecture and design play a huge role in the appeal and the charm of this place and i wondered for you as an architect is that city always inspiring or is it sometimes also causing kind of a writer's block because it's already too beautiful and you're hesitant to restructure some things um i guess sometimes i've had you know second thoughts mm -hmm. uh especially but it was because this particular building site that I'm thinking of as I answer you. Uh, it was next to one of Florence's more historical monuments um, on the other side of the river. And, and, you know, really everything you do there, you're touching somebody else's masterpiece. So um, there were a few moments in which I was hoping <laughs> that everything would, would go well and that I wasn't going to regret this for the rest of my career. Um, but in fact, what I like to say when, you know, when, when people say, aren't you worried about working downtown? I mean, don't you feel like um, you made something may um, damage the, not, not structurally, but the aesthetics, right. Mm -hmm. Of the, sure. I like to, to make a, a small comparison um, that cities are living creatures. There is no city that was born in one moment. And, um, you know, we sit, we sometimes use that silly saying, Rome wasn't built in a day, but we don't really think of the implications of that saying. The implications are that a city is alive, functional, working because of all of the layers that compose it. So if we were to respect, imagine this, imagine respecting the Roman colonies that are underneath hundreds of our of our contemporary cities. Imagine respecting the Roman colony that was under Hamburg. That Absolutely. It was a quarter of the size, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and it was organized in a way that today makes no sense. Cars can't get through those roads, not two of them, you know. So the fact that Florence is such a lively city, contemporary city, 
And it's not even the more contemporary of cities, right? So we can still, we can think of Milan, we can think, you know, even parts of Rome. However, the fact that they're all like this is because they're built on layers. It's because that only recently we are starting to consider historical evolutions more important than contemporary evolutions. This wasn't true in the Roman Empire. This wasn't true, you know, during the Renaissance. During the Renaissance, the aristocrats in Florence were saying, I need a new palazzo. We're going to tear down a neighborhood. <laughs> Holy crow. Yeah, sure. I mean, imagine yeah. the Uffizi. I'm just saying out of like the, the one of the more well-known sure, sure. um, monuments in the city yeah. of Florence, right? The, the Museum of the Uffizi, where we have Botticelli and where we have uh, Caravaggio, where we have amazing paintings that, you know, uh, even kids appreciate because of the colors and the strength of the images, right? Okay, so before 1560, that was a neighborhood of row houses. <laughs> and, you know, the Duke of Florence said, interesting, we're tearing it down. We're making the Uffizi. Yeah. That's the fact that we feel so overwhelmed by the history of it all is something so contemporary. At the time, it was not considered. Um, and so thanks to that, thanks to the fact that at the time it wasn't considered, we have this amazing layering of cities, right? We have the Roman city, the medieval city, the Renaissance city. Then we have the city of the 19th century where everything was bourgeois and wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and then we have World War II, and then we have uh, who knows what the future is going to bring us, right? So there are lots of different aspects to a city. And actually what I believe is that we're contributing to keeping it alive. That's a very beautiful thought to see yourself also in the uh, in the tradition of the city and also in the in the timeline, not only contemporary. Because if I look, it's a, it's a great comparison. If you look at old Europe and especially in Asia or Dubai, where they just build cities from scratch, they have a very very different approach to it and they have a very different feel to it. Yeah, so. If, if we talk about this uh, on the timeline and in the bigger scale, are there some trends that you think will gonna impact architecture and the way we live in, in cities or in the countryside in the future? Is there anything that you that you yeah see for the future in architecture? So currently what I'm noticing is that we are really taking advantage of what past events have taught us and going full steam towards um, ecological solutions. Uh, so, uh, thermal solutions that are maybe green energy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, there has been a ban. I just, one example that kind of makes my point. There has been a ban up until this year about using solar systems for, uh, heat and hot water in the city center. Okay. What does that mean? That means that our beautiful terracotta rooftops that we can admire from any hilltop mm -hmm. when we look down on the city of Florence, of course, they, you know, we'll be the superintendency of fine, of fine arts said, no way you can cover these rooftops because they're part of our cultural uh, heritage. heritage. Yeah. But now they're starting to say there, there can be instances in which places in which uh, these these structures are allowed uh, and these infrastructures are allowed because it's too much. 
we're weighing too much. We cannot um, keep on the way we're going. And therefore, if we are allowed baby to uh, accept that we're going forward and that the future is now, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, that can also change some regulations. So they're talking about it. I was surprised. I mean, when I saw the article, I was completely surprised that finally we would be able to envision. And of course, I'm sure that the rules are going to be super strict. They can only be on rooftops that face this side of the mm-hmm. city. They can only be up to a certain number of volts and watts and whatever it is that we need to calculate. And we need to, you know, make sure that all of our designs are within these standards and we'll do it because as we've been doing until now for other regulations, we'll do that too. But really we're turning around. This is what I see for the future. I see that the architecture is going to be much more sustainable and it's going to take a little bit, (laughs) Um, you know, that there are also there are like mini wind um, implants that you can have for your energy uh, and these, as I said, solar systems, um, uh, geothermal so, um, uh, heating systems, all of these are going to be redesigned so that they can finally take their place within historical cities. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, talking about the, the future and cultural changes, you talked about that you also teach at the university. So I wonder, do you have a, do you experience young people having different ideas on how they want to live or what a city even is to them? Um, definitely there is a culture shock in the first three weeks of their arrival. Uh-huh. And some of them most of my students embrace the culture shock. Uh, Also because study abroad today is quite different than it was 30 years ago where, you know, students were, they would arrive at the airport and have to find a cab to their apartment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Today, today it's slightly different. There are, there are um, people that uh, help them maybe, uh, find the home or transition into the house and uh, show them around and give them a map with the closest supermarkets and the closest, you know, mm, cafes where they yeah. can have breakfast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so make sure that they're at least situated and that they don't, they're not missing anything and that already changes, but the showers, uh, <laughs> um, the kitchens, yeah. a lot of things are super different. And so we hear about that. Um, And some of them love them and other, other kids are, are kind of, you know, less enthusiastic, Uh, but I think, you know, what the, most of the, the students talk to us about is how life is really outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the winter, even when it's chilly and it's rainy. And as you said, it's hard to imagine farms like that, but believe me, winter is long for everybody. Um, even then there is some, there's this kind of outdoor uh, life to the lifestyle here. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the things that they, they really appreciate the most because it's an, it's a, it's an occasion for socializing. And this could be very different if you're not actually in a city in the United States, then, then occasions for socializing have become, uh, thanks to recent events as well, you know, um, very sparse, scarce and far apart. So it's not easy. And instead here, it's sometimes, you know, you have to say, okay, enough socializing. I really got to get to work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's, you know, there are neighborhoods and there are cafes and people sit down and have breakfast or, uh, you know, they're on the run and they, have, they exchange two words with the bartender or uh, at the supermarket, you know, something it's, um, 
it's really, and you've seen it, right? That the outdoors, even the markets are outdoors and they're still outdoors even in the winter. And that's something that's completely different, right? So um, it's, uh, I think that's really, they talk to me about that a lot. They say, well, you know, we met this person and we were talking to this other person. And so they, they're enthusiastic about that. So, um, but I'm telling you, you know, a lot of study abroad students decide to move back. Okay. I, After they graduate, I can't and they imagine. Say, I, you know, I really want to live in Europe. Yeah. Also, because everything is so close. Imagine how easy it is for exactly. you or for me to get to Paris, yeah. right? I would like to go to Paris next Friday. Okay, book a flight. Exactly. You know, there's exactly. no time difference. There's no money difference. Um, we only need our identity card. We don't even need our passport. So the lines at the at customs are halved. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a in the best sense, a cultural shock, right? <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Wow. So with all that inspiration for, for any of the sweet people listening, if they want to come to Florence, what are your like top three spots they should definitely go check out from a architectural or design perspective? Aha. Okay. So the... If anybody has never been to Florence, um, I would definitely uh, try to find a room or an Airbnb or a hotel on the other side of the Arno. Um, what what the does other the, side the, of the other river. side mean? <laughs> so there's on city centers the on one side, side, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> on the south side. I would definitely suggest trying to find an accommodation on the south side. And that would take care of, let's say, little taverns or uh, cafes or bars that are super uh, cute and typical, let's say. You would be able to easily access those without having to walk kilometers. Yeah. Um, from there, then the walk down to the other side, let's say the northern side is very beautiful because the bridges are, um, you know, quite picturesque and uh, you really get a sense of how wide open, you know, the city has become. So at that point, I would check out whatever contemporary exhibit is going on at Strozzi. Um, Strozzi was uh, the Renaissance home of one of the most influential bankers in the 400s uh, in the city of Florence. Of course, not as influential as the Medici, but still quite up there. And um, being the family not, not owning the, the Palazzo anymore, um, the city of Florence has taken it over and has exhibits, temporary exhibits, almost year round. So nice. don't come in the two months in which they're reorganizing <laughs> because yeah. um, currently there is the um, largest exhibit on Donatello, I think since Donatello. Wow. So the New York Times spoke of it. So Amazing. Uh, it's a big thing. And there has been, you know, Picasso and there has been uh, any kind of artists that you can imagine has uh, even architects yeah. have had exhibitions in Palazzo Strozzi. So there's also a very, very nice spot to have an aperitivo once you've finished your exhibit right out in front of uh, the, the Palazzo itself. So you get to sit in this very luxurious piazza and have a drink uh, after your eyes have been filled with art. I would then suggest you reserve a canoe trip down the Arno. Ooh, that could be interesting. Amazing. Yeah. 
It could be interesting. So if you're planning on doing that, maybe come when it's warmer because the winds are wicked uh, in the winter. So um, that could be something that's fun um, and different. Or if you're looking for fun and different, you can also take a hot air balloon and hover over the city of France. Yeah, very cool. Sounds beautiful. Um, I would definitely do a food uh, tour. Maybe you can, there are lots of different food tours and I would choose the more, you know, elite ones because they don't take you to touristic places. Mm-hmm. They take you to, um, let's say, the, the authentic uh, places. Uh, and there are very different types. So you can have an aperitivo tour or a wine tour or a gelato tour. Mm, perfect. <laughs> all of that. <laughs> yeah, all of that. And then I would... Um, make sure that I get to see the complex of the cathedral, um, which includes climbing up the dome, climbing up the bell tower, and the museum where all of the work regarding these two buildings are included, uh, and the baptistry, which has incredible uh, medieval mosaics. Those are my suggestions. Wow, Daniela, amazing. Yeah, that was way more than suggestions. You planned out a whole trip for us. Thank you so much. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> when are you guys coming? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. You're going to get some some inquiries for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So, well, you know, I, I already have, um, I only have two questions left. Two questions that I ask all my guests. Uh, the first one is, we talked a lot about what feeds your visual craft what inspires you on a daily work routine but i want to know is there something that inspires you right this moment could be a movie a book a conversation a podcast you heard um, something you want to share with us um i think that mostly in this moment when i've actually gotten uh, back into teaching after this interruption due to covid um something that's really been inspiring me is taking the kids on the, the students excuse me on the site visits uh and so i really I, i've gotten back into seeing the hidden treasures that i would normally take you know it was it was standard for me every semester i would be enthralled to take my students yeah. to see the hidden treasures that make up the city of Florence. And for two years, I've missed out on that. And I, I didn't really realize how much I missed out on it. So I'm, I'm really taking advantage cool. myself, not only, yeah. not only them, I'm taking advantage of, um, of these amazing things that we go see together, um, including, you know, newer 60s neighborhoods that we have in the city and um, looking at the dedication of the architects that added on to uh, the layers of the city of Florence that for me right now in this, in this specific moment in time um, is definitely an inspiration. That's great. This is something, by the way, that I would recommend to, to everyone listening. Even I took a hidden gems tour in the city I was, I was born and raised in and I was, and was part of a, of a job and everyone went and I was like, okay, let's see what they say. And actually I learned three absolutely new things that I never saw before. So even in your hometown, you can take a little tour of the little, little hidden gems, the historical things you might never even knew because it's right in front of your nose. And as we know, that's sometimes things we oversee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. That's great. Well, and the last thing, this is your stage now is there something coming up what's next what's happening what should people check out your website your social media is there anything you can help them with what's going on 
Um, so definitely, as I was saying before, the website is within the next few months, we're going to update it with the new work. I'm so, I'm so proud of, uh, and, um, social media, um, we're also, we're also planning, uh, a few interesting posts on social media. So, uh, definitely check me out, but also, uh, don't be shy, you know, I mean, write to me and if you're planning on coming or, uh, if there's a place that you have seen and you're not too sure about, because, you know, it's maybe, buying an apartment outside of Florence could create some doubts. You need a car. Do I need a car in Italy? How people, oh my goodness, how people drive in Italy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it brings up a lot of questions. So as I said, don't be shy because a lot of things, I mean, I can definitely, uh, as I said, one of the interesting parts of my job is translating services. So what exactly does it mean moving to Tuscany rather than moving to a city? Hmm? Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, Daniela, thank you so much. Um, I think you took us all thank on an imaginary journey to beautiful Tuscany <laughs> um, on a little Vespa ride through your job, your everyday life and work. Um, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm so happy to be able to participate. It was nice having you. Ciao, Daniela. Ciao. Sweeties, I really enjoyed talking to Daniela and I admire how she used her own experience in her story and turned it into a unique business idea. Also, this talk once again reminded me of how the places surrounding us have a huge impact on our work and life. If you feel the same, let me know in the comment section or via DMs. Next week, I'll be talking to Ryan Afford. He's a marketing expert, entrepreneur, and host of a top 20 marketing podcast in the US, The Radcast. We'll talk about the future of marketing, personal branding, and the cultural differences between the US and Germany when it comes to storytelling. That's it for today. Take care, and I'll hear you on the sweet side. This podcast is produced by Sweet Spot Studio. New episodes each week, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating and subscribe to never miss an episode. Find out more at sweetspot-studio.com.